0: And I was like, oh, fuck. I'm going to have to tell that story because I have a cancer podcast and it's kind of funny, but it makes me look like such an idiot. But I'm willing to risk it. You're going to risk it all just for us. Thanks. Welcome to Cancer for Breakfast with Amy and Steph. I'm Amy. And I'm Steph.
1: Try to make cancer for breakfast safe and comfortable for everyone. It may not be suitable for all audiences, and is intended for informational and educational purposes
0: only. It is not a substitute for medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. We're not doctors. We didn't even go to podcasting school. <laughs> hey, Steph. Hey, Amy. What's going on?
1: Um. A lot's going on. Boy, you look pissed. I am livid, to be perfectly honest with you. Um, are you on a mission to be a bitch, or are you a bitch on a mission? I am a bitch on a mission because I learned something the other day Mm -hmm. that
0: rocked my world. Spill it. So, you know, how there's feel it on the first. Mm Mm-hmm. Saves millions of lives. So important. Right. The campaign that says feel your breast or chest for changes. Mm -hmm. Just know you're normal. Exactly. So if there is a change, you'll know what to compare it to.
1: Right. Because breast self exams are effective and free Mm -hmm. and we should all be doing them. Right. Mm -hmm. Okay. Um, Well, it turns out that I posted my feel it on the first reminder for people. And some of my friends were like, oh, um, yeah, my doctor said just like don't bother doing that anymore Mm -hmm. and i was like wait what and they were like yeah they said like no more self-exams and like no clinical breast exams and like they won't let me get a mammogram until i'm 45
0: so how would you catch your breast cancer
1: i think we're just supposed to like intuit it i don't know um that's a great question, because if you're not supposed to do self-exams and you're not supposed to have your doctor do an exam and you're not allowed to get a mammogram anymore. Mm-hmm. They say they being the American Cancer Society and a bunch of other organizations, actually. Right. They say that we're supposed to know and look for breast changes. like So feel our
0: breasts and do a self-exam.
1: You would think that's what they meant, but instead they say most breast cancers are discovered while bathing or dressing.
0: So you're just going to discover them anyway. So don't do a self exam. Like, it's just so stupid. Like,
1: why would they actively discourage breast self exams? Like, Mm -hmm. why?
0: Also, have you ever heard of a fucking loofah? American Cancer Association. Some people don't just (laughs) lather their fucking hands and feel themselves up, some people use a loofah. Or a barred soap. A sponge. I mean, have you done a study on how women are bathing? Yeah. Some women don't like touching their boobs. Some people don't like touching their boobs. Some people are not happy they even have breasts and they don't spend time I'm I mean, this is real. I know this for a fact. It it blew
1: my mind so thoroughly that I immediately went onto the American Cancer Society's website mm-hmm. to verify that this was true. And it is. Yeah. I was completely and totally stunned to read that they, in fact, are saying they no longer recommend clinical breast exams at any age. Mm -hmm. This isn't even wait until you're 40, 45, 50. This is your doctor does not need to touch your breast at any time. Yeah. No self breast exams. And they're not recommending mammograms before 45. Although they do say you can decide with your doctor Mm -hmm. if you want to get it between 40 and 45 so i am irate Mm -hmm. at the number of people who will follow
0: these new guidelines and completely miss it because as we all know from before we were cancer people one of the most identifying factors of not being a cancer person is the fact that you don't have fucking cancer and you don't believe that can happen to you like You're still living this invincible life where something like that only happens to other people. So when they say you don't have to get a mammogram until you're 45, you say, sounds great to me because I don't need one anyway, because I'm not a type of person that would ever get cancer.
1: Exactly. And not only that, but when these kind of guidelines happen, insurance coverage gets based on all of this. Mm hmm. So if you say, hey, I would actually really be more comfortable starting mammograms at 35, they're Mm going to say,
0: sorry, pay out of your own pocket. But they do that anyway if you weren't high risk, because these are all for for if you're average risk. Like if you have a family member who has cancer, if you are a BRCA person, they still are going to recommend that you get scanned and all of that shit. But
1: well, you and I both know that people of average risk get breast cancer under 40.
0: Exactly.
1: Oh, yes, yes, yes. We are both people of average risk who got breast cancer under 40. Mm -hmm. And so it shouldn't be down to being a high risk person to be able to make that decision based on your own personal comfort level and what your doctor recommends. Right. I did look up all of this
0: because... Your name is
1: Steph. (laughs) I, you know, I wanted to be thorough for our listeners. So the American Cancer Society says, quote... Clinical breast exam contributes very little to early breast cancer detection when mammography screening is available. Then give us mammography.
0: Right. <laughs> then fucking okay. So which,
1: <laughs> which one is it? It, quote, increases the rate of false positives. Maybe. And, quote, mammography will find most but not all breast cancer.
0: Then let's just throw them away. If they don't find all of breast cancer, let's just not do them. Because Exactly. What was that percent? 80%?
1: 85, 85% of breast cancers will be found with mammography. So because they don't
0: find 15%, they're not useful? Yeah, let's, let's just not do those, right? I get the false positives thing, but like... But that doesn't mean you're going to falsely be diagnosed as breast cancer and go through chemo and then later be like... Actually. Exactly. I don't know if the chemo disappeared your cancer or if you just never had it off ever. It means that you're gonna have to get a fucking biopsy, and then the biopsy is gonna come back negative, right?
1: So the American College of Radiology had a great infographic on this, and I get that, like, whatever, it's in their best interest to push for mammograms, but these are legit numbers. Ninety out of one hundred women will get normal mammogram results. Great. We want that when they go in for a mammo. Great. So. 10 of them will be asked to return. Okay. Six of those 10 will get a normal callback result. Two will return in six months or be asked to return in Mm -hmm. six months. And two will have a biopsy. Mm Mm-hmm. So two out of 100 women will have a biopsy and they're all head up about this, like
0: they're wasting resources. So of those 100 women, this sample is of non-breast cancer people or this is how they find breast cancer? So only... This is how they find breast cancer.
1: So two women will get a biopsy and then it's got to be like a fraction of a percent that actually ends up, you know, having breast cancer.
0: Okay. Well, so... So I'm confused. Then how many people are finding out they have breast cancers from mammograms? There was a research
1: study in Sweden. You know, it was hard to find really current up-to-date results for how many women are diagnosed based on a mammogram. Mm -hmm. Aside from the American Cancer Society's figure that says mammograms find 85% of breast cancers. Right. But there's this big honking research study in Sweden of 50,000 breast cancer patients. It happened between 1977 and 2015 and the breast cancer screening program that they instituted showed a 60% lower risk of death 10 years after diagnosis and a 47% lower risk of death at 20 years post-diagnosis. And that's having been involved in a screening program. Mm -hmm. So what happens, it seems, with these recommendations is that they're justifying not doing clinical breast exams or self-exams or mammography earlier because they say that survival rates overall don't improve. Um, it says based, based on mortality alone, screening doesn't significantly decrease overall mortality because 30% of early stagers recur. But like that's like saying you're going to die eventually, so you might as well die now. Like,
0: <laughs> Like, come on. But how does that number not grow, that 30 percent of early stages recur or go on to become metastatic, right? Yeah. So doesn't that also mean that the rest of those people, their treatment worked because they caught it before they were metastatic and they were treated and then they don't ever get breast cancer again, right? So if they don't well, yeah. catch it early, those numbers will grow. Well, yes. And breast cancer rates, the the
1: survival rates have gone up drastically yeah. in the years since we've instituted regular mammograms and all of these other screening things like breast self exams have to be one of the most important things. But all of the research that I saw that supported these recommendations to stop screening were based on crazy ass studies that like one of them that I read was this study in China In the 1970s and 80s, where they offered to these women who worked in these three factories, Mm -hmm. they offered them the opportunity to enroll in a breast self-exam class. Mm -hmm. And then they followed to see who ended up getting breast cancer. Mm -hmm. And they saw that the people who had enrolled in the class weren't necessarily the ones who were not getting breast cancer or were being diagnosed, you know, And catching it early. But I don't understand how that could even be a scientific study. Like you have the nineteen seventies and eighties China, where culturally maybe you're not forthcoming about whether or not you touch your breasts. Maybe you don't have time to enroll in an extra class at your work. Mm -hmm. Maybe you've got kids at home that you need to get home after work and take care of. Like, how could they use that as the basis to not recommend breast Mm -hmm. self exams? Like It makes no sense to me.
0: Well, like some breast cancers you cannot feel. And I know many people who did not ever even feel their lump, even when they knew that there was cancer in there, they would feel their breast and not feel anything. Yeah. Which is why there are multiple layers of screenings. Yeah. Right. Right. But to say self-exams don't work because many women won't feel anything or... Many women don't have breast cancer anyway, so let's just not bother. It's just like it's not hurting anybody, you know? Yeah. But I did read somewhere, and I think on cancer.org, the American Cancer Society's post about this. Mm-hmm. Didn't it say like some women would be treated who wouldn't die from the disease anyway, like by catching it early? Like, they will obviously, they have cancer in their body, but then it's like... But but it might not ever kill them. Right. Yeah. Which is also like, how do you know this? Because who are these women that you find out they have breast cancer at 35 and you don't treat them and then they don't die? Like... Who are these women that are doing this? Like, right, exactly. Like, you found some weird cult, some weird religion that doesn't believe in medicine, and like three of those women had breast cancer and they didn't die and it never spread. Okay. Like, at least tell me who they fucking were because that's just so silly to say. Yes. Also, like, what's the story?
1: Either a lumpectomy is a simple, safe procedure. Right. And we can do it outpatient and, you know, the recovery is manageable and all of that. Mm -hmm. Or we don't want to take cancer out of your body unnecessarily because it's too much. Like, What is the true thing? Because you can't have both.
0: Yeah. And it really is just a slap in the face to all of us who were diagnosed under 40. And all of us who were diagnosed between 40 and 45 and found it through mammograms, which I actually have a letter that I'll read. I it's not a letter. It's somebody tagged us in her post on Instagram um, because we posted about this on Instagram, which Steph, you can talk about in a minute. But I'm just going to read what she said because yeah. she fucking caught her breast cancer through a mammogram at fucking 40. This happens and it saves lives. Right. OK, so this is from Becky. She writes... I haven't posted about this personally until now, but I was diagnosed with breast cancer this year only because my PCP recommended I get a mammogram since I was 40. At my first screening, I learned that I had multiple cancers inside one breast, the worst of which was a rare and very aggressive form of cancer that didn't appear on the mammogram. It was only caught in the surgical pathology because of two other tumor types found via screening that required a mastectomy. Typically, my most aggressive form of cancer isn't found until after it has spread throughout the body. If I had waited until 45 for my first screening, I would not have had a chance at survival that I do now. These new recommendations are not in the best interest of public health. One in eight women will develop breast cancer. I had no symptoms and no first-degree family history. It unfortunately can happen to any one of us. Screening and self exams are the least we can do for ourselves. Please inform yourselves about these issues and consider sharing this message. I'm not as Insta-savvy as I once was, so please visit Cancer for Breakfast for the whole scoop since my pics are telling her telling me that her pics <laughs> and her cropping isn't good. I'm not going to repeat that. Your pics and cropping are wonderful, Becky. Um and then she blames that on the nine weekly rounds of chemo. That are taking a toll on her little old brain. Um, but Becky, you're exactly who we're fucking talking about. Yeah. And there's so many.
1: And we hear this over and over. Yeah. They're, like, I, I responded to somebody else who was telling a very similar story. We have entire communities built on the fact that people get breast cancer under 40. Mm-hmm. I have stats for this. About 12,000 people under age 40 each year are diagnosed with breast cancer in the United States. About 800 people under age 40 are diagnosed with stage four metastatic breast cancer every year in the
0: United States. So wait, 12,000 people of that 12,000, 8,000 are metastatic upon, oh, 800. 800. Okay. Yeah. Over
1: 30% of new breast cancer diagnoses occur in the few years after your first baby is born. Do some people have babies over 40? Absolutely. Absolutely. But a lot don't. Yeah. These are important lives. It's just like, what the hell? Like, I guess we don't matter because we're in the vast minority. So we just don't touch our boobs
0: anymore. And also, as we've talked about a number of times, our generation is like having their first child later. Many of us are like postponing that or only having one child and you know, late 30s and like that is increasing a lot of the rates because they don't have that benefit of like breastfeeding in their early 20s and all of that stuff as like so many people did in the 70s and stuff like that. And like, right. So if anything, we should be expanding screening. One thing about it, though, that is complicated is women under 40 have denser breasts, dense breasts, aren't as mammographical mammogrammable <laughs> mammogrammable is that a word <laughs> that's right, mammogrammable it um, is now so cancers can be missed because the way it shows up on the mammogram that's a real thing mm-hmm. but i don't think the answer is just don't have mammograms until your breasts are less dense and more vis- like the answer is okay well then let's give people ultrasounds cuz those are better with dense breasts or mris you know like why isn't something else being offered at 40 if you're finding that like breasts are still too dense then to make a difference or i mean i don't know i'm just kidding. And you know what I, I have to point out that there are 3d
1: ultrasound kiosks in fucking malls because people want to find out what sex their baby is mhm But we can't offer
0: 3D ultrasounds to women to diagnose their fucking cancer. I totally thought you were going to just tell me that there were 3D ultrasounds for your boobs at the mall. And I was like, let's go. Oh, I wish. I need to tell you a story after we are done talking about this that has to do (laughs) with being scanned in the mall because I really need to get this out. It's really embarrassing, but I think it will lighten the mood after we're just really raging here.
1: Okay. I can't wait. I I just really want people to join us in calling for the American Cancer Society to reconsider particular, like the mammogram thing at age 40, fine. But the whole deal with these screenings is it's a combination where you have three points at which your cancer can be caught. Right. Your own knowledge of your own body, Mm -hmm. your doctor's expertise at finding suspicious lumps Mm -hmm. and the radiologist that performs the mammogram. Mm -hmm. And I cannot believe that they are trying to say these lives aren't worth it or it's not worth it to prolong your life if you're just going to die of metastatic breast cancer anyway. If I had waited until I was 45, I would be dead as a Mm -hmm. fucking doornail, you know, like. Mm -hmm. I think that the intervening years are worth it. Thanks. Like, right. I would rather not just die inexplicably because my breast cancer was never
0: diagnosed. God fucking damn it. Absolutely right.
1: So anyway, we've got this thing going on Instagram. Hashtag screaming for screening. And we would love for people to share it and hop on this bandwagon of anger.
0: And I would (laughs) love it if you would share if you... Found your breast cancer under 45 through mammogram, through fucking a self check or your doctor felt something and thought you should get a mammogram. If you are comfortable, you can send us that story or tag Screaming for Screening and tag us or hashtag. Yeah.
1: Hashtag Screaming for Screening
0: and tag us. Yeah, Also fucking tag the American Cancer Society. Who would have thought that we would be like holding our middle fingers up to them of all people. (laughs) Right.
1: But, you know, I think like
0: even though they say that insurance
1: companies were not part of the conversation on this, I don't see how finances weren't part of this decision because it just seems so ridiculous that they are trying to say that over diagnosis Mm -hmm. or the stress of a false
0: positive i need that explained i need that really explained what that justification is and i need examples and numbers like the stress of it is being cited like how fucking paternalistic can
1: you be to say oh ladies we just don't want you to worry
0: that you might have breast cancer for two weeks and then find out you don't yes that's fucking awful but you know what else is awful actually having breast cancer yeah And not finding it until it's metastatic. A breast biopsy is not fucking fun, but then you get to go live the rest of your life and not worry about having cancer because you don't fucking have it. Jesus fucking Christ. Yeah. I don't know anybody who's gotten a breast biopsy who didn't have breast cancer who's still fucking talking about it in a way other than, oh, I had a biopsy once and it ended up being normal. You know? Right. It was really scary, but no one is in fucking therapy for it 10 years later. They're okay. Yeah. So what is it? It has to be the money,
1: right? Because- They don't give a shit about how we feel about any other procedure. So,
0: And also, like, cancer death is not just one thing. Dying of cancer is not the same story across the board. Right. Like, everyone's going to fucking die. We love it when people say that. Just (laughs) kidding. But, like, in this instance, if someone's going to die of cancer, they're already in that category. So, like, ship them off and not like what what the fuck right well and that's that's the
1: thing is if you're looking at these numbers from this study in Sweden that showed a screening program lowered your risk of death by 60% after 10 years and Mm -hmm. 47% at 20 years, maybe some of those women ended up dying of breast cancer, but I'm sure that they and their families were pretty fucking appreciative of that 20 years. Fucking yes. Like maybe you were early stage and you ended up recurring 15 years later. And that doesn't mean that your life wasn't worthwhile for Mm -hmm. those 15 years. Like really, you said it best. It really is just a slap in the face to be a mortality rate, you know? Like that's all we are, I guess. Well, Together, we can
0: scream, and they will fucking hear us. Yeah. Or I'm just, like, picturing these idiots in, like, these idiots in the American Cancer Society. <laughs> <laughs> if I had a dollar for every time I've said that. Um... <laughs> but I'm just, like, picturing them in a boardroom, just being like, you know, we've, just, we've got a lot of these, like... A lot of these late 30s, a lot of these, you know, even late 20s aged women getting this breast cancer, it's a really bad look. It's like, this is just like, <laughs> it makes people sad. Sometimes they're new moms. It's depressing people. Okay, let's just stop looking for the cancer so that we don't have to deal with that shit. Because, like, you know, people don't really care that much about older women. You know, you're like 45, it's kind of like easier to take. People are like, already familiar with the. 50-year-old
1: woman in a scarf
0: (laughs) visual so let's just pivot back to that let's just go back to that and also let's recommend people stop eating that acai berry because it's it's just awkward to say acai is it s-e-i is it a kai let's just let's get that off the list of the antioxidants it's just embarrassing to pronounce what else can we get rid of excellent david thank you so much for your (laughs) thoughts you're welcome michael great work as always and alex jeffrey daniel simon um peter Lovely gentlemen. Lovely meeting. Great. Shall we hit Hooters? <laughs> I was actually wanting to go to Applebee's for their $4 martini. <laughs> teeny, I think you mean. teeny! <laughs> you know what? If they're actually going to, like, give us fucked up advice that's going to, like, kill us, can it at least be that drinking alcohol is okay? <laughs> like, give me something I can use, you know? Uh, fuckers i enjoyed
1: feeling my own breasts thank
0: you very (laughs) much that was my only action all month (laughs) no you know i just think it's just better for everyone's health if they discover their breast cancer like when they're feeding their fish and their arm brushes (laughs) gently against their lump maybe like 13 months from now i I just think that that is maybe going to be scientifically a better way to catch it's less stressful it is it is less stressful for these women and we frankly
1: don't want to i've noticed a lot of my female friends becoming late in life lesbians Ooh, maybe it's all these breast self-exams you're right they love
0: them too (laughs) Let's just you know put what the they get curious about other ladies breasts. <laughs> you know, maybe we should say that women should do a monthly back massage on their husbands <laughs> instead. <laughs> We're going to put the kibosh on breast self
1: but We are recommending a weekly penis inspection on your <laughs> male sexual partners. <laughs>
0: oh, God. Okay, well, I'm so excited because people are writing us. We want, don't, don't not write us because I just said we have a lot of letters. If we haven't read your letter yet. Don't worry. Mm -hmm. It's coming. But we're going to just read one letter today um, because we've taken so much time being bitches on emissions. That's right. Screaming for screening. (laughs) Screaming for screening. So we're going to read one letter, talk about it a little bit, and then Steph has a wonderful rant. Yes, I do. So this is from a woman named Allison, and she writes, Hi, Amy and Steph. Your podcast was recommended to me by a mutual friend of Steph's and mine, Lindsay, and I wanted to write and thank you for putting these conversations out into the world. I am not a cancer person. However, I recently started dating someone with stage 4 renal cell carcinoma. Yep, you read that correctly. I knew he had terminal cancer when we met, and I chose to pursue the relationship anyway. It has been a really incredible experience getting to know and fall for him, but I can't help but feel resentful that cancer will always, always be our third. When I tell friends and family about my new person, who is an avid reader, martial artist, cat lover and music enthusiast, their happiness and delight quickly fades to worry as soon as they hear the C word. I know their concern comes from a place of love, but it sucks to always be managing other people's fearful feelings about our relationship, especially since the fears they have expressed are not fears that are new to me. I know he could die sooner rather than later. I know his prognosis over five years is less than 10% chance of survival. I also know that he has access to some of the most talented oncologists in the planet. He receives treatment at Seattle Cancer Care Alliance. Whoop, whoop, whoop. I think our relationship forces people, I know, to confront the uncomfortable truth that we are all going to die someday. Some people just don't have the luxury of not thinking about their death every single day. And when it occurs to them, it freaks them out, which is fair. But I also wish people could be happy for us. All that said, I'm really enjoying loving someone new. Being loved is great, you know, the best. This is such a new uncharted territory and your podcast is really helping me navigate the landscape of loving someone with cancer. I'm curious if you have room in a future episode, could you do a rats on RCC I know previous episodes discussed that there's far less funding for stage four treatments, but I'd be curious to hear any information you could find on the cancer itself or the immunotherapy treatments for advanced stage kidney cancer patients. Thanks so much for what you do. I appreciate you both and wish you all the best. And I hope you are doing what you need to do to survive Pacific Northwest heat apocalypse 2021. Thanks again, Allison. Thank you, Allison. Well, that was delightful. Allison, you're a delight. Congratulations.
1: Your man sounds wonderful. Mazel tov. We love love. Congratulations for finding love. For real. And thank you for not writing off a cancer person who is no doubt worthwhile and
0: lovely and deserving of love. abso fucking What are your thoughts on this, stuff?
1: I love this. Um... Obviously, it is near and dear to my heart as a stage four cancer person. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think what resonated with me the most was Allison saying that it's so hard to manage other people's emotions around this experience, mm-hmm. especially since she is one step closer to it than they are. And it's like, of course, they're well-intentioned, but like, don't dump in, you know, mm-hmm. like she's she's closer to this person mm-hmm. and loving this person and. You don't need to share your negative Nancy thoughts. Yeah. Because this guy obviously is worth her time and her love. Yeah.
0: And also, nobody can just not be in love when they're in love. Like, love is irrational. Like, that is, like, by definition, why people go crazy, especially in the early stages. Don't say stage. Of a relationship. (laughs) Seriously, though, like, it is like a drug. Love is the drug, right? Right. And any of your friends who are in love, who are married, who have been together with a partner for many years, none of them would be able to just, like, rationalize that relationship when they were... I mean, I don't know how long she's been with this person, but let's say it's six months or four months or two months or what. Yeah. Like, that is, like, the height of just, like give it to me <laughs> like you're the best and like all of those people yes like, you are so into it i mean it feels so good i don't know I, I'm, I'm sure some people would be scared away f- from the cancer thing but usually you get scared away before you're madly in love with somebody you know what i mean like it's like yeah clearly if you're open to it enough to be madly in love then you're fucking madly in love so like yeah you're in it case close sign seal delivered like it's no different than like being with somebody for seven years and then finding out they have cancer, what you're going to fucking leave them? No, I mean I hope fucking not. It does happen. Yeah, I mean some people do, yeah. but I think that it's totally true.
1: Like you're in it, and you're in this like beautiful new relationship, and you deserve to have that be celebrated. And it's not like like what is this guy supposed to do? Just like curl up in a corner and die? Like mm-hmm. it's hilarious that as a culture, I feel like we have this like bucket list mentality for people who are near death but then i guess that's not supposed to include being in love like right
0: you're allowed to hike mount everest but you're not allowed to have a Mm -hmm. girlfriend (laughs) like i know i mean i feel like people always get so worried about people like wasting their time on things that are gonna take up like literal time from their life so like yeah just like taking yourself out of the game right now To be partnered with somebody, it's like the same as like moving to fucking Antarctica to do some science program for six years or something where people are like, Are you sure you want to do that? Like, you're going to come back and you're going to be older and you're going to be this and everybody's going to be partnered and you're never going to find anybody, you know? Like, yeah. I think that makes sense though, because you wouldn't expect that
1: of any other people, you know? You wouldn't be like, Well, this might not work out. So you better just turn off your feelings.
0: Well, also, like, do you watch people who like you've dated someone for like four months and then you find out like really terrible things about them we all have these friends right who are just like well so jason left his computer open and he's on (laughs) craigslist searching for like disgusting disgusting (laughs) very dishonest i don't know what do people do that's bad i can't even think of an example because because i don't know any bad people um but then they're like still in it you know like their new boyfriend is like sleeping with their ex-wife and like has been lying to you and is also like has a cocaine addiction but like they kind of can't quite get rid of them because like you know well they called and then we decided to meet for coffee and then he ended up coming over like we all know these fucking people yeah,
1: turns out Brian is obsessed with aliens. <laughs> um, but, I mean, he's like, <laughs> oh. You don't just get to turn it off. Yeah. I mean, maybe some of
0: these people should. Maybe.
1: Yeah. you You should that's such a good point though like even when it is actually like a character flaw or something sometimes you can't just reason yourself out of love and so when it's not a character flaw how are you supposed to do that exactly
0: like people just they can't control it sometimes nor should you because this guy is very deserving of love and You are so lucky that you get to be that light for him and that he is clearly so, like, completely smitten with you at the same time. Like, what a special thing to share with each other in this crazy world. And I think that a lot of people don't get to experience
1: such a deep and really meaningful connection Mm -hmm. has what comes from like clinging to each other Mm -hmm. in these really intense situations where you are having to confront mortality so often and you're working through these really really big feelings and changes Mm -hmm. and you know like some people aren't prepared for that but
0: they will have to go through it at some point too you don't get off the hook for death right just how about everybody just mind your own fucking business and let people decide mm-hmm. what, you know, risk, rewards, how they want to spend their fucking life, who they want to love. I I will
1: tell people, I don't know why anybody who doesn't know this would be listening, but... um you go into it with eyes wide open. My partner has learned a whole hell of a lot about me in the past nine months Mm. that I'm sure he was not eager to learn. And it's not like you would go into this being like, oh, I thought it wasn't going to be that bad, but it turns out it was devastating. Like, no, Allison obviously knows exactly how bad it is for her right now and has a probably pretty good idea about what it'll be like in the future. Yeah. I think that, There is this weird, like, idea that you have to grow old with somebody in order for your relationship to have been legitimate. And, like... If it doesn't work out for any reason, then it was just like a waste of time. Or if, you know, somebody ends up dying, then it was, was that a waste of time too? Like you're allowed to have experiences in your life that don't last forever. Yeah. And are still valuable and beautiful. Totally. And I get that like people want to protect their friends and family's feelings, but like you don't get one without the other, you know, like you don't get to be mm-hmm. happy all the time because then you wouldn't have anything to compare it to. You wouldn't know what it was to be happy. Yeah. So, yeah, I had a woman in my writing group who was this super badass, hilarious writer. Her name was Josie Rubio. And she wrote an essay for the New York times that kind of went viral and um, it was called dating while dying. Mm. And Josie died in 2019 of metastatic breast cancer. And it is such a poignant and funny and relatable essay. And I want everybody to Google it Mm. or maybe I'll just put it in the show notes, but yeah, definitely read it because it captures the experience of finding love from the other side of allison's letter like Mm. and what josie touches on in her piece is that she had this shitty boyfriend who wasn't worth her time Mm -hmm. and now she's found love after having a terminal diagnosis and this is the guy that is actually worth her time and so it doesn't matter where you're at in life you still deserve happiness with people who love you and um I think that actually goes double if you know that your time might be shorter.
0: And also for anyone listening who is on the other side of this letter and who is uh, terminal, you deserve love. And you are lovable. And there are people who are not afraid to love. Yeah. It might even be a fetish. (laughs) just kidding. (laughs) My friend told me that her husband saw me walking when I was like a chemo person. Mm -hmm. And I was walking my stroller and and she was like, Oh, Mike was laughing the other day because he saw you walking, you know, from like two blocks away. He's like, Oh, there's like some like cool hot mom or whatever, and then and then you got closer (laughs) and he was like, Hey baby! and And I was like, and that was the day that you found out that Mike had a fetish for term, like not terminal. for that's the day you found out Mike <laughs> had a fetish for very, very sickly people. And like, she was just like laughing so hard. And I was like, oh, oh, that woman looks like, wow, she's really hot mm, with that scarf. I like the looks of that. <laughs> <laughs> he was very far away at the time. Um. All right. Well, listen, I'm going to tell you about the mall thing because we got to lighten this shit up. And this is a secret I've been keeping. Because I was so embarrassed. Oh, juicy. Okay, hit me. Picture it. This was about, I don't know, seven years ago or something. Mm -hmm. So I used to do all these weird marketing jobs in like my early 20s. And about seven years ago, somebody I used to work for hit me up and was like, I really need somebody in Portland to do this thing. I don't know if you do this stuff anymore. And I was like, I kind of don't, but what's the job? I don't remember how much i got paid but it was like a ridiculous amount of money for just working two hours but i had to go to the fucking mall Uh uh-huh so i did it i was like no one's gonna recognize me at the macy's in fucking clackamas or wherever i was going <laughs> uh-huh. and i will do it for this much money but i think i it was like some really dumb promo like a summer party promo where they had like a runway and like people were gonna be modeling fucking macy's clothes Ooh, uh-huh. excuse me i'm a costco woman <laughs> uh, i'm just kidding i'm totally kidding um <laughs> But so I like got there and I was getting the rundown from whoever was like running things. And she was like, "Okay, so you're going to be like giving out towels to anyone who spends $50 and then they get a free mammogram. And in my head, I was like, this is fucking weird. I cannot believe Macy's is doing mammograms. Is this weird or is this cool? I I actually it's pretty fucking cool. Like that's kind of <laughs> edgy as fuck, you know? And so I said, like, anybody gets one? And she was like, Yeah, but they have to spend fifty bucks. And I was like, So where do they go? And she's like, There's a machine over there, and there's this guy who like <laughs> comes to these events with this machine. Oh my God. And I was like, that's really cool. And I just said that. I was like, that is really cool. And she just kind of looked at me like, yeah, it's pretty cool. Um, And so as I walk to my table, I see a monogram machine. (laughs) (laughs) And some dude is monogramming people's names onto towels that spend 50 bucks. Now, I need you to understand... Understand this is before I had breast cancer, and it was before I was forty, and I'd never had a mammogram. And did you notice as I was telling you the story that I didn't say they have a mammogram machine? I just I didn't say like Uh uh the word. Like in my head, I heard her say monogram, and I just kind of said that they are like where you know, and I, I just mixed those two words up, and it was like a whole deal. But I was so glad I didn't say that's really cool that they're doing mammograms here, you know, and had her actually like realize what I was thinking. (laughs) Oh, I am so
1: thoroughly delighted by this story. (laughs) And I wish that there was a mobile mammogram unit that Macy's hired out on promo (laughs) day. Maybe
0: I would have caught my fucking breast cancer earlier. (laughs) God damn it, Macy's. (laughs) it was a wonderful fashion show though oh anyway. anyway i think we handled lemonade too oh my god what a day seriously um
1: well on the topic of renal cell carcinoma you know how i love to please a <laughs> people pleaser a pita pata. Pita pata. this week all about rcc renal cell carcinoma tell me everything so renal cell carcinoma is the eighth most common cancer in the united states about 74,000 americans are diagnosed with rcc per year mm-hmm. and it is a cancer that starts in the lining of the small tubes in the kidney hmm. so um I wanted to do just kind of an overview on what renal cell carcinoma is, what the treatments are, because I do feel like in the cancer community, we can kind of like get so far into our own lane that like we don't know how to relate to other cancer people with different diagnoses. And so Mm -hmm. I was actually really interested in learning about this because there are some interesting overlaps with breast cancer, too, and like the way that RCC spreads and Mm -hmm. stuff like that. So. The treatments are removal of the kidney, either part of it or all of it. And this is in current or in recent years, the preferable first treatment because the kidney is removable. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Way to go, kidney. Um, they do also kill the tumors with radio waves or with cryotherapy, which is freezing. I believe we talked about cryotherapy on another rats. I love cryotherapy. Yeah, it's so cool. What they do is they like insert something that freezes the tumor. Yeah. And that kills it. It's so rad. And then once your RCC has become metastatic, they rely more heavily on immunotherapy, molecular targeted therapy, radiation therapy, and chemo. Mm-hmm. So some people before mets will have those two but those are really for the metastatic RCC patients. Mm-hmm. Um 25 to 30% of people with renal cell carcinoma are going to have mets before diagnosis because the symptoms of renal cell carcinoma are really pretty mild usually. Do you know what they are? Yeah, it's like side pain that comes and goes, fatigue, and then as it moves on you have like blood in your urine, mm-hmm. things like that, but a lot of them really are mild symptoms like the fatigue and side pain that mm-hmm. comes and goes. So a lot of people just don't go to the doctor for stuff like that. Right. The metastatic sites, very similar to breast cancer, um, lymph, lung, bones, liver, and brain. And so unfortunately, that up to 30% is a pretty high number of folks who right. are ending up metastatic. So that's stage three or four with renal cell carcinoma. There are eight initial immunotherapy med combos that really are reliable mm-hmm. in treating this disease, which is a lot. It seems like to me, mm-hmm. like this first line treatment, having eight different combinations of just this one specific kind of therapy, immunotherapy.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: It seems like they're really making a lot of progress in treating this disease mm-hmm. and um, removal of primary Renal cell carcinoma tumors can, in some cases with metastatic patients, evoke an immune response that can result in spontaneous remission, Hmm. especially if you have lung METs. So they're still learning quite a bit about this, but it does sound like even though, as Allison said in her letter, the survival rate for five years is lower than 10%, as we always like to say, things are changing all the time. New mm-hmm. meds are coming out. And a lot also depends on when you're diagnosed. And a lot of the people who are diagnosed with renal cell carcinoma tend to be in their sixth or seventh
0: decade of life. Wow. And so when you're younger and you're you're more robust and healthier. She forgot to mention that her new boyfriend is 87. <laughs> oh, shoot. I just don't understand why my friends and family <laughs> are just being so weird about this.
1: Oh, it's not the cancer. It's that he's in prison.
0: <laughs> um, just kidding. I'm sure he's not in prison. She mentioned he liked music and cats, but not that he's a murderer.
1: <laughs> and he's 90. <laughs> Um, So what they do in the immune checkpoint inhibitor therapies is really neat. And they do this with a lot of different cancers. So I just wanted to kind of like go over what that even means, because it's pretty neat. It's a thing that I would not have ever really thought to learn about before cancer. And the deal with immune checkpoints are a natural thing that happens in our body And sometimes the immune response to something is so robust that it kills healthy cells just Mm -hmm. in a normal, healthy body, not specifically with cancer. Mm -hmm. But immune checkpoints keep that from happening. When T cells, which are just proteins on the surface of immune cells, bind to other proteins, which in the case of cancer would be tumor cells, that turns off the signal to kill the tumor cells. And your cancer is then just allowed to run hog wild because your immune system is Mm. not functioning the way that it's supposed to. Mm -hmm. So immune checkpoint inhibitors stop this partnership from happening. And that lets the normal immune system go ahead and start killing the cancer cells. Um, They do not target the cancer. They just allow the normal immune response to work. And so what they do a lot of the times with immunotherapy is it's a combination where they do the immune checkpoint inhibitor and then they do a targeted therapy too. So it really bolsters the response. Mm -hmm. And hopefully, you know, your immune system is also doing its job. And these seem to be pretty darn effective as far as all of the studies that I read. I will go ahead and put the studies in the show notes. But in addition to that spontaneous remission thing, the eight combinations are combinations of totally different medications. So, you know, we always like to have a lot of options for first line treatments and then second and third and fourth line treatments. And when they involve a handful of different meds, then it definitely ups your chances of having a good response to one of the combinations or two of the combinations.
0: It is so interesting to learn about different cancers
1: yeah and just also the the way that these therapies work and understanding just i actually this is maybe embarrassing to say but i actually didn't even know what t-cells were i i knew t-cells but i didn't know that it was a protein on the surface Mm -hmm. of immune cells
0: yeah i didn't (laughs) there we have it folks um well thank you for the rats and thank you, everyone for listening so we
1: we did say that we've got letters piling up but that doesn't mean we still don't need more so please send us your letters to cancer at life. gmail.com
0: tell us everything
1: follow us on instagram at CancerForBreakfast. breakfast and mm-hmm, our asses mm-hmm. have joined twitter like it's 2006 so <laughs>
0: <laughs> we're at cancer breakfast i believe is what yeah. was available character limitations never get anything um hey you could also buy us a coffee we mentioned this last episode and people did it we were so thrilled we were and so excited one of those people we actually need to give a shout out to because she donated at the level that gets you the fucking shout out may i present the shout out from Steph? Elizabeth Stewart. What you fucking donated to our shit? Thank you so much. Um, yeah, we'll put a link to our buy me a coffee down there. We were freaking ecstatic that people actually did it. We didn't think anybody would.
1: No, we totally didn't. And you know, we've been shelling out every month for our hosting and our domain and our website and all that. And every little bit helps. So we appreciate it.
0: Look, we've seen your guys's GoFundmes. We know you have money. I'm just <laughs> <laughs> I'm really um, but no buy me your coffee is a really <laughs> cool site where you can just chip in a little bit of money every month and all added together might help ease the financial burden for us poor poor two <laughs> cancer patients
1: thank you for your consideration
0: <laughs> all right well thanks for listening Anything else we need to report? I don't think so. Have a great week. Bye. Goodbye.
1: Cancer for Breakfast is hosted by Amy Dials and Stephanie Lajaness and produced by
0: Nathan McGeehee. Our theme music is written and performed by Vivivir. Find us at cancerforbreakfast.com, Instagram at cancerforbreakfast, and email at cancerforbreakfast at gmail.com.
1: so much for listening. Thanks for listening.